Kentucky basketball returns home for their home SEC opener against the Missouri Tigers in what hopefully should be a little bit of an easier contest than what we saw against the Gators this weekend. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what's going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Daw, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. On today's episode of Locked On Kentucky, we are going to be previewing Kentucky versus Missouri, the home SEC opener for the Tigers, going to tell you what you need to know about Mizzou, about this matchup, and then we're also going to give a net rankings update for UK today as well. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. You can empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat over 50 infections. You can get yours today at jacemedical.com. That is J-A-S-E medical.com. So let's go ahead and get into it. Kentucky versus Missouri on the hardwood in Rupp on Tuesday should be a fun challenge. Before I dive into this, I said this in the in the opener there. I think that this will be a, an easier cha- a challenge than what Kentucky was given on Saturday on the road at Florida. Big time win for the Gator, or excuse me, for the Wildcats over the Gators. If you want to go check out that reca- uh, recap episode, it is up on my YouTube channel and on the podcast feed. It should be an easier contest, but it's very difficult to win in this league. Conference games are hard, so take everything what I say with a very small grain of salt, knowing that Kentucky is now entering the phase of the season where every team that they play, minus Vanderbilt, is going to be significantly better than the average non-con opponent the Wildcats faced. Missouri, much better team than some of the teams that we've broken down already on this show over the past few weeks but Kentucky is still favored to win, and it's at home. Kentucky's probably going to win, but just know that if something does go wrong, it kind of makes sense at the end of the day. It kind of does make sense, given the strength of the SEC. Let's talk about these Missouri Tigers here for a second. Let's break down who they are, what they've done this year, what we think about them. Since we last talked about the Tigers and we discussed them in an episode a couple of weeks ago where I went through and gave you five things that you needed to know about every SEC team heading into conference play, since we last talked about them, they've dropped, actually, gone one and one in that that span, but dropped from 106 to 117 in the net rankings, and they've dropped from 92nd to 102nd on Kimpom. So far this year, they have losses to Memphis, Kansas, Seton Hall, Illinois, and number 250-ish Jacksonville State in the Kim Palm ratings. They opened up SEC uh, play with a home loss to Georgia, so that tacked that on to their losses so far this season. Eight and six overall are the Tigers. Their two wins so far this year that have been impressive, number 44 Pittsburgh and number 85 Minnesota at the time that we broke them down. You go and look at their scouting report. Now that win over Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is actually 54th And then their victory over Minnesota, they have actually dropped to 78th. Or excuse me, they've improved to 78th in the the Kim Palm rating. So not bad, not bad for their two victories. The big thing about Missouri that we noted then 
and we're going to reiterate now whenever I did that uh, breakdown episode. The Tigers are very similar to where they were a season ago, statistically. And if you go and watch them, they've changed a little bit with the way that they like to approach the game. And they've gotten better in some areas by the numbers, but they really haven't changed that much in my mind. And my theme for Mizzou when we talked about them last was that Dennis Gates needs to improve the overall talent level. They've got a couple of talented players, really good players, but from top to bottom, this is not a team that is going to crack through, I think, the top half of the SEC standings at the end of the year. I don't think they have that gas. I don't think they've got that in the tank. Compared to last season, they're pretty much the same when it comes to grabbing rebounds, which has been a sticking point for us when talking about Kentucky's offensive abilities and what their ceiling is, and then also what Kentucky does on the defensive end, limiting second-chance opportunities, whether or not they've done that this year, and then what that does to their adjusted defensive efficiency. Missouri is awful at grabbing second-chance points and then preventing them just like last season. Now, they were a little bit worse at both of these two things a season ago from a number standpoint, but this year, not a lot, again, has changed statistically. It's not been a huge drop-off there. And compared to last season, something else I think that is interesting, they started off pretty hot a season ago, and they struggled through non-con play so far this season, now sitting at 8-6, and six, and there wasn't a huge change of from a strength standpoint from their non-con slate a year ago and their non-con slate now. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's actually just slightly, it's just like slightly better, uh, stronger, I should say, than a year ago. The big thing that has changed about Missouri, outside of a couple of their personnel pieces and their inability to grab rebounds consistently, is the fact that their pace has slowed down significantly. A season ago, you can go and look at this on Kim Palm, a season ago, Missouri was almost top 100 nationally in adjusted tempo, and their average possession length on offense was 44th in the country. It's now dropped to 84th in the country, and their adjusted tempo is 243rd nationally. So the Tigers have slowed things down significantly overall, and their offense just doesn't have that much of juice to it. It doesn't have a ton of juice to it. Now, their offense is not that bad. It's definitely the stronger of the two units that they have, but it's just not like really exciting across the board. If you go and look at the numbers, they're a good free throw shooting team, but they don't draw a ton of fouls. They're a decent three-point shooting team, but they over-rely, arguably, on the outside shot. They don't grab offensive rebounds very well, and they so therefore they don't get a ton of second-chance points. Their turnover percentage is relatively low, but they don't really do a whole lot consistently when they have the ball on offense with their possessions because they slow things down. So I, I, I don't know, and that maybe that's a broad statement that I just made there, but I, I don't know really what to say about Missouri positive, to, like extremely positive when it comes to their offense, other than that it's just slightly better than it was a season ago, but they don't push you. They don't really push the pace a ton. They don't, they're not very aggressive. They also don't have the height to do it. As of right now, they're the, they're the smallest team in the SEC. When it comes to their rotation, it's the smallest in this conference. How much will that affect them? It'll be interesting to see because something that kind of offsets that is their experience. 
They're a top 15 team nationally in terms of experience per player in that rotation. So they've got a couple of individual good things going for them. They're similar to where they were a year ago underneath Dennis Gates. But they haven't really produced, and they're eight and six. And they're pretty short on top of that. I think when you go and actually watch this team and how they play on the offensive end of the floor, I find it interesting that their guard, Sean East, who has been just a beast for them so far this year, is shooting so much better than everybody else. And that nobody else on this roster can consistently like get something going. You can you can argue that Tamar Bates has been just as good for them as Sean East. He's just not simply not gotten uh, as many shot attempts up uh, as those guys. He hasn't even shot more than Nick Honor. I believe he's fourth on the team in shot attempts. Like he's a good shooter, but like outside of East, nobody's like lit it up, impressed me in this rotation. Their ISO scoring outside of Sean has been relatively disappointing based on what I've seen after watching multiple games uh, with the Tigers and seeing how they like to like to operate. They're slower than I expected, and I don't mean in terms of pacing. I mean physically, and that's not to say that they are a slow team. Maybe they just want to work methodically. I don't know. But Sean East is the guy to me, and he's the only thing that like really scares me about this team is his, his ability to get it going. He's the major contributor, according to Kim Palm. He's used on over 24% of their possessions, averaging 17 points per game while shooting 55% from the floor and 53.8% from three. His three-point shooting, and then Tanner Bates, who's also shooting above 50% from beyond the arc, is essentially carrying this team's three-point percentage right now. And again, like I mentioned, they're an average outside shot team. Nick Honor is a good three-point shooter too, but compared to the what, like the rest of the guys in these this roster, Noah Carter, one of their starting forwards, Caleb Grill, one of their backup guards, Anthony Robinson, who gets in this rotation a little bit as well. Aiden Shaw is also not a three-point shooter. I don't even know if he's taking a three. Uh, John Tonjay, uh, who is somebody that's been in this rotation a little bit, like guys that have been chucking up shots outside of East and uh, and and Tamar Bates, you don't have an outside guy consistently. And again, that's interesting because of how much they actually rely on the outside shot. And they don't rely on it as much as Kentucky does. And Kentucky's kind of slacked off of it recently, actually. That's something I've been meaning to discuss, just like but by a hair, just like maybe a percentage, percentage and a half uh, in some aspects. Um, but it's kind of what's helped their offense go whenever they have struggled at different points. And you can look, actually, to this most recent game against Georgia, and we're going to talk about Georgia and Kentucky, uh, or excuse me, we're going to talk about how Kentucky can attack this team because I think Georgia did some things similar to what Kentucky's going to end up doing against Missouri tomorrow. Um, but Missouri, 6 of 19, only 31% from beyond the arc. The guy that carried it was actually a guy that's not known for shooting threes, Noah Carter, uh, Carter against the Bulldogs, three of, 3 of 4 from beyond the arc. But uh, Nick Honor was 1 of 5, Tamar Bates was 1 of 3, Sean East was 0 of 2, and whenever you can't get two of those guys going out of your three best three-point shooters, this offense has shut down at different times this year. Um, in, in just a second, we're going to talk about how their defense works with Kentucky. But again, just to kind of reiterate it, the offense is similar to a season ago, but they lack their pacing. They lack the, uh, the push that that team had season one underneath Dennis Gates. 
And I think their defense has also held them back in some contests, uh, which may be more important than their offense. And again, it's not a bad offense. It's just not, it's just not as, it's not as good as maybe it could be. And I honestly think part of that has to do with talent. Maybe at the end of the day, it has to do with Dennis Gates and his coaching. I wouldn't say that right now just to kind of give him some leeway, give him some more time. But they've got to figure some things out. That loss to Jackson State at home was rough. That loss to Jackson State State was uh, was rough. And they, I, I'm not sure they've lost four out of their last five against legitimate competition. I don't know if they're going to have a ton of a chance here in Rupp. So what does Kentucky do against this team, against this defense? I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Before I do that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there is still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150. Win or lose, the app is super easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet like same game parlays. You can find bets in the Explore tab, which is new for the app. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. It's the best and easiest place to find all the different parlays, uh, popular parlays that you may want to try out and more on top of that. So you need to visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. That is FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, continuing along here on the Monday edition of Locked On Kentucky. Lance Dahl hanging out here with you. Really appreciate you making Locked On Kentucky your first listen every single day. If you have not subscribed to the show already, please go ahead and do so. If you're listening on podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you subscribe there as well. So, this offense has not really changed a ton. Sean East is your guy. Nick Honor, your backup, or excuse me, not your backup guard, kind of your secondary option to him in that backcourt. Nick Honor, by the way, maybe the thickest SEC guard I've ever seen in my entire life in person. Just a random comment. And I'll, I'll like physically, like the dude is like, actually, I can pull this up here real quick. Nick Honor is six, or excuse me, he's 5'10, 200 pounds. And then he was listed at 210 last year. Um, just just built like, built like a brick house. And when he was running down the court in Missouri's faster-paced offense a season ago, um, it, was a, it, was, it was fun. And Missouri had some fun guys last year. Anyway, point being, <laughs> this offense hasn't really changed that much. They've lost some games. Maybe they shouldn't have so far this season. Uh, Dennis Gates, I think, needs to up the talent level just a little bit here for the Tigers. He's going to have time to do that at some point in the future. Sean East is him. They opened up SEC play with an interesting loss to Georgia. And as far as the matchup goes for UK, I don't really know if Missouri matches up well. I mean, to be honest with you, this could, I'm not saying it's going to be, but this could look ugly. It's, at the end of the day, this could be an ugly game for the Missouri Tigers. Missouri at times has struggled with pace this season. They've struggled with efficient offenses. They have really broken down on the defensive end at times against even average offenses. And then on top of that, Kentucky's got height. They've got home court advantage. And they've got some really good three-point shooters. So as far as matchup goes, as the matchup goes, this is interesting. We'll, we'll compare this to Georgia as well. Missouri has faced one opponent with a higher adjusted offensive efficiency than Kentucky. Kentucky right now number eight in the country. Illinois is number six. They played the Tigers a few weeks ago. 
and the the Fighting Illini beat beat the Missouri Tigers ninety seven to seventy three. Ninety seven points thrown down on Mizzou. And I'm not telling you Kentucky's gonna score hundred. Just pointing that out. That when Missouri has faced okay offenses this year, or even good offenses, um, they've struggled at various points. They gave up 93 in a loss to Seton Hall just before that game against Illinois. They gave up 75 points at home against Georgia. And Georgia, it's not like they really, it's not like they, how do I say this? Georgia does not push the pace, nor do I know, nor do I think they have the personnel to. Like as aggressively as Kentucky does, I should say. They're, they're, not, they're not as good at it as Kentucky is. And they slowed things down at various points in this one. I think part of that actually might have been Missouri's doing. And they shot pretty efficiently. For almost 43% from beyond the arc, Georgia did. They shot 12 of 28. They shot nearly 55% from the floor. And then they shot 71% from the foul line. Pretty decent balanced offense against Missouri. They were just kind of, the Bulldogs were just kind of able to do whatever they wanted to. And again, Missouri, just not that great at preventing the second chance points. They're 313th nationally in offensive rebounding on the defensive end. They give up a ton, a ton on that end. Now they create steals. I'll give them that. They create steals, but they're really not good in a variety of other areas. And I think Kentucky will be able to take advantage of that with their speed and with their efficiency. I think Kentucky, this is what I wrote down in my notes here. I think Kentucky can drive on this team. Go and watch that game against Seton Hall, the game before the Illinois one. Watch how, watch how Seton Hall kind of opened them up at various points. And watch how Missouri reacted whenever the Pirates aggressively took the ball to the hoop. It looks like pretty often, far too often, Mizzou got left behind on some of those drives. And with more aggressive guard play, like Kentucky's, that can break you down. Like, re- really easily that can break you down. I think Kentucky can, can utilize their dribble drive offense pretty effectively against Missouri. If you can get some of those outside shots going, I, I think Kentucky's going to have a chance to really run on this team even in the half court, just like exploding to the rim. And it's just the question of whether or not you can finish more effectively than you did against Florida over the weekend. And the, the, the guess here is that, yes, they will be able to because Missouri is significantly shorter than Florida was or is. So on the offensive end of the floor against the Tigers, I think Kentucky can utilize their guards getting downhill and getting to the cup and either kicking things out if Missouri wants to overcommit. If Missouri wants to try and push Kentucky off of the three-point line, I think Kentucky can do a great job of getting into the middle of whatever they want to do or whatever Missouri wants to do uh, defensively and either taking it into the paint further or kicking it back out. I think Kentucky can have their way offensively in this game when it comes to a scheme standpoint. It's just the question of whether or not they actually knock down their shots. You have to go back to some of these games that Kentucky has struggled in as a young team and say, okay, it feels like Kentucky has the chance to be really, really good as they've proven at other points in the season. 
but they rush things sometimes, as all teams do. It happens. They seem to sometimes not get settled in on the offensive end of the floor, not find the right shot, maybe that they need to. Kentucky, in their home environment, returning after a huge win against Florida, may slip up early in this one. And stuff like that happens. But I think Kentucky, if they gain composure, they focus up, and they play well on the offensive end of the floor, they'll hit some of their open shots, and they'll win this game. And I don't want to say pretty easily, but you will see them, if they struggle at, at early, I think you'll see them come back and take this one over in the second half. Defensively, Kentucky's got to maintain focus on the defensive end. I know I said Missouri earlier, sometimes a little sluggish on the defensive end of the floor. They've got some guards. Again, they've got some guards that can light it up at times. Maybe not as consistently as Missouri would like, but Sean East can get it done. Tamar Bates can get it done. Nick Honor, when left open, he's proven he can knock down shots as well. Switching, playing through screens, making sure that that you're not sagging off on a forward like Noah Carter in this one is going to be very important for Kentucky. Again, just maintaining focus and playing hard, playing with energy. You cannot leave Sean East, Nick Honor, Tamar Bates. You cannot leave those guys open consistently. Force them to do something inside the paint. Force them to do something inside the perimeter and then go from there. I think Kentucky's got the length to protect the rim better than Missouri can in this game. I think Kentucky on offense has the speed and the physicality to score more consistently, and then maybe hit some outside shots as well. I think Kentucky wins this game. 97-73 to was the game against Illinois. Right now, Kentucky is favored to beat uh, the Tigers 87-73. to I'm going to say Kentucky uh, eclipses 90 in this one. I'm going to go 91-75. to It's where I'm going to land on this one. I think Kentucky ends up scoring over 90 in this one. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just have a cold shooting night. Who knows? But that's where I feel, uh, that's how I feel about it right now. I think Kentucky has the the upper hand in this matchup from my perspective. I want to talk a little bit about here, here as we wrap the show up about bracketology, net rankings, Kentucky's opportunities right now, because uh, they're rising. They, they are rising to a point where you start to feel comfortable about their chances to get a really good seed. And that, that win against Florida was big. Um, some ACC fans uh, online may, may tell you differently. <laughs> Just... I was just browsing earlier, looking at the AP Top 25, and I saw a lot of disgruntled ACC fans about Tennessee and Kentucky being over them, um, even though North Carolina uh, has uh, lost the head-to-head to one of those teams. Uh, but I want to talk about the net, the bracketology, all that good stuff in just a second. Before I do that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we talk just for a second about preparing for real life? According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. It can be scary at times out there, and I can't imagine feeling more helpless if one of my family members got sick while a supply chain issue kept them from getting a life-saving medication they needed, but thankfully will be okay because of Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinuses, skin infections, among others. This stuff could happen to any of us. And you can visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician 
and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. You need to go to jacemedical.com and use offer code locked on to get $20 off your order. Again, jacemedical.com, use code locked on to get $20 off your order. All right, wrapping up the Monday edition of Locked On Kentucky. Lance Dahl hanging out here with you one more time. Really appreciate you checking out Locked On Kentucky. If you have not subscribed to the show already, please go ahead and do so, whether that be on YouTube or on podcast. All right, so I want to talk about net rankings and bracketology here in just a second. I will give the bracketology update before I dive into the net. So earlier today, I was going to take a look at ESPN and CBS's Bracketology, just to see if they had updated it. Um, Of course, CBS has not updated theirs in a few days because it's not like Jerry Palmer, CBS, uh, really care to update it. It feels like more than once a month. It looks like uh, maybe that changes whenever we get into uh, February. I don't know. They seem a little little lazy over there at times. (laughs) But but I looked at ESPN's, and uh, they had updated it just a couple of days ago. Joe Lenardi. And I went to Command F on my computer, Kentucky. Just searched for the word Kentucky on the page. And I looked at the, at the three C line because I thought Kentucky was still going to be there. And they were nowhere, nowhere to be found. So I, I looked around for a second. And sure enough, I found Kentucky in the south region of Joe Lenardi's Bracketology listed as a two seed. Now Kentucky is all the way up to the two seed line. Do you remember earlier this year where Kentucky was at the six seed line? And after winning a stretch of games, the Wildcats are up to number two alongside Marquette, Tennessee, and Arizona. Your one seeds right now, Purdue, Houston, UConn, and Kansas. Your two seeds again, Marquette, the Wildcats, the Wildcats of Arizona, and the Tennessee Volunteers. Right now, the SEC has a lead on every other conference in America when it comes to uh, teams projected to get into the big dance. Nine SEC teams are predicted to get into the NCAA tournament. The next closest team is the Big 12 with seven Seven. So, or excuse me, the SEC now has a two-team lead on the next closest conference as conference play tips off. It's a strong league. It's a very strong league this year, and for Kentucky to be here close to the top is nice. But I will point out, I will, I will point this out. That loss to UNC Wilmington hurts Kentucky's net ranking. It does because the the net rankings themselves literally say so. But as far as their their seating and their projections right now, they have time to kind of overcome it. And I really do hope that when we get to March, when we get to the middle of March after the SEC tournament, whether Kentucky has won it or not, who knows, and we're looking at the Wildcats as a possible one seed if we are there, I really do hope it does not come down to, well, you lost to UNC Wilmington in the middle of your non-con slate. Tough luck. I hope that's not. I hope that's what it does not come down to. Because right now, Kentucky's got the opportunity to kind of band-aid that up, but if they don't do it enough, it can hurt the Wildcats. Right now, it's hurting their net ranking right now. And some of you may say, well, what's the net ranking? Maybe your first time watching, maybe your first time really hearing about the net ranking. I'm going to give you a brief breakdown. It is a computer model that was introduced, I believe, in 2018, and it uh, it replaced another uh, another um, 
computer ranking that the NCAA tournament uses whenever determining their seeding. And it includes a few different things, game results, strength of schedule, game location, scoring margin, net and offensive and defensive efficiency, quality of wins and losses. Uh, it will be or the quality of wins and losses based on uh, game location and the opponent's net ranking. Uh, the interesting thing about uh, the bracketology, or excuse me, the uh, the net rankings, is that um, they break down their rankings for every single uh, in, uh, every single Division One team by quadrants. So, as you know, there are 363 teams in Division One right now, and let's say Kentucky wants to get a quad one win against an opponent. In order to get a quad one win against an opponent. Let's say they play let's say they play uh, let's say they play Dahl University. If Dahl University goes to play at Rupp, Dahl has to be ranked higher it has to be ranked 30th or higher in order for it to be considered a quad one win for UK. If Dahl is playing Kentucky at a neutral site, Dahl has to be ranked 50th or higher in order for it to be a quad one win. And if we or if the Wildcats are going to play DU, then DU has to be ranked 75th or higher in order for it to be a quad one win for, for Kentucky. So just for an example, Kentucky plays at Texas A&M this weekend. Texas A&M is ranked 39th in the net. So it's a quad one opportunity because it's an away game and Texas A&M is ranked inside the top 75. If this was a neutral site game, it would still be a quad one win for Kentucky. But it would not be a quad one win for Kentucky if this game was being played in Rupp because A&M's ranked 39th and they need to be ranked higher than 30th in order for that to be a Q1 victory. You get what I'm you get where I'm going with this? So right now Kentucky in the net rankings, they themselves are ranked number 17 with a 2 and 1 record in quad one wins. Why am I harping on what quad one wins are? Well, because they're very important when it comes to tournament seeding. In fact, if you go onto the net rankings website and you scroll down all the way down to the very bottom, after seeing all of these different teams, and you go to click on how the net rankings work, you will see them explain when talking about their quadrants, the number of quadrant one wins and quadrant three and four losses will be incredibly important when it comes time for NCAA tournament selection and seeding. They literally say, hey, when you go, Kentucky, when you go to get seeded for the tournament, just know that loss to UNC Wilmington, which is right now a quadrant three loss, will end up being very important. But those quad one wins are also really big. That game against Florida was a quad one victory. It was Kentucky's second quad one victory. I believe the first was over North Carolina. Uh, yeah, North Carolina. So you may say, okay, well, how many more opportunities does Kentucky have to pick up quad one wins? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because here are the rest of the games that Kentucky has that are right now a quad one victory, if they win them. At, at Texas A&M, who is ranked 39th. At South Carolina, who is ranked 42nd. At home against number five, Tennessee. On the road at number eight, Auburn. At home against number six, Alabama. On the road at number 32, Mississippi State. And at number five, 
Tennessee. Right now, according to Kim Palm, in those seven games, Kentucky is projected to go three and four, as most of those are on the road, very difficult places to play or difficult opponents. So that would put Kentucky overall at five and five at the end of the season. Not bad, but not as good as it could be. Because right now there are three teams that Kentucky will play that are bordering on quad one games. So I told you at Mississippi State is a quad one game because the Bulldogs are ranked 32nd. They need to be 75th or higher. Well, Kentucky plays Mississippi State at home here in just a little bit. I believe next week, next Tuesday. And Mississippi State, or excuse me, no, they play next weekend. Mississippi State needs to be inside the top 30 if they're coming into Rupp in order for it to be a quad one win. And between now and playing UK, Mississippi State plays Alabama and Tennessee at home in Starkville. So if Mississippi State even splits one and one, there's a chance that they may be ranked inside the top 30. If they win, beat them both, which I don't think they will, but if they beat them both, MSU would be there. Absolutely would be inside that top 30. And if Kentucky beats them, that's another Q1 win. Kentucky also plays at home against Florida, who is ranked number 49 in the net. They need to be in the top 30. That's 19 spots away. But right now, the, the Gators are projected to go 5-1 and one between now and when they face UK. So Florida could very well, at some point, find themselves inside the top 30. If they win all of those games, then they would be probably in the top 30. And then the final team that's bordering on being a quad one opponent is Gonzaga, who's ranked 45th. But the Bulldogs are projected to go 8-0 and between now and when they face UK. Now, it's a significantly weaker schedule than you would find in the SEC. But still, going 8-0 could land you near or inside the top 30. And if Kentucky wins those three games, and they're projected to win all of them, on top of the three that they are projected to win through their seven definite quad one opportunities, eight and five looks a lot better than five and five. And who knows, Kentucky could win some of those games on the road. So Kentucky's got opportunities. They've got potentially 13 total opportunities on their schedule, including the three that they've already played. And then uh, 10 that are definitive. 10 definitive total quad one opportunities. So we'll see what happens. Um, But the Wildcats have the chance to really rise here in the net rankings and get themselves possibly on that one seed line. If they do, if they do win some of these games and they've got to, they'd have to finish with a better, better than a five and five record uh, in the net. So we will see what happens. There's your update on the net and the bracketology rankings. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode of locked on Kentucky. You can follow the show on Twitter at locked on UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance Dahl underscore and follow the show on Instagram. That is at Kentucky podcast. Any questions, comments, concerns, leave those in the YouTube comments below. Hit me on the socials. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Locked on Kentucky. Have a great rest of your day and God bless.